Yeah, today I have a really special guest in my podcast. It's Dr. Dragos, and you're a writer, you're a scientist, and for those who don't know you, could you also introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Hi, everyone. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. So, um, basically, my journey started in Romania about 35 years ago. Um, I grew up during the last years of communism with a, quite of a, a big poverty consciousness, if you will, because back in those days, even the line, give us our daily bread, had actually a literal meaning. So... Um, um, then went, did my studies in engineering, uh, my PhD in uh, actually in Germany, in aerospace, writing uh, software prototypes for uh, understanding satellite uh, data. And when I was in my early 20s, just like every person probably alive on Earth today, I was beginning to ask questions like, you know, what, what is this life all about? What am I doing here? You know, it's just going to be the daily grind and nothing else. So those questions when I was in my early 20s started me on a journey to figure out, you know, do I, uh, what, what dreams do I have? What is my purpose? Do I have any purpose in this life? And I've been spending the last uh, 12, 15 years actually trying to answer these questions. So that's basically my, my brief introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dragos. And I'm, I'm really, I'm so honored to have you in my podcast because I actually read your book, The Pursuit of Dreams. Um, I think this year in February or March, and it really, yeah, it was an unbelievable story, really. So I would really love to get back into your story. Um, but first of all, um, I'm always asking um, the interview guests if they have a morning routine. And if yes, um, how does your morning routine look like? Uh, yes, actually I do have one. Um, try to wake up as early as possible, but I'm not the, those kind of 5 a.m. kind of guys. <laughs> um, so my every day without exception is wake up i uh, get my coffee as the first thing and then i usually i spend about i spend about one hour uh, just reading the bible and uh, i don't like talking in the morning so i just read read the, read the bible and drink coffee that's it <laughs> nice that's a good way to start the morning i think um yeah so let's imagine we go back 10 years ago um, how did your life look like back then? When I was um, between 18 to 23 years old, my, um, I did my studies back in, uh, back in Europe. And uh, my parents could only afford to give me $100 a month to keep me through university. So basically, my perspective about life was quite closed in the sense that all I have to do is, you know, get my education, my degrees, then get a job and cling on to this job as hard as possible. Uh, this is what, uh, this is the leftovers of living in communism. They were very damaging for, for me and many people in the sense that basically we had no kind of hope. In, uh, I, I never had dreams until I was 23 years old. So at, at 23, I started to, uh, I was going into bookshops because, um, as a student, not having too much money, I, I had nothing to do but just go and, and read in bookstores. 
I couldn't afford to buy the books, so I was just going there, reading them and putting them back. So I read hundreds and hundreds of, of let's say tens and tens, not, not to, you know, to lie on your podcast. <laughs> so uh, tens and tens of books on anything from uh, leadership, uh, self-development, anything you can imagine, and so on. And all these books coming from a different social environment than the one I grew up in, mostly America, the, uh, the UK, and, uh, and so on. All of these books were saying, look, if you have a dream, if you have a passion, if you feel like you have a calling in life, you can, you can do it. So I, I, I was starting to wonder, can this be true for me as well? Even though the social environment I grew up in was teaching me, showing me uh, the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, back when I was 24 years old, I, I asked the question for the first time, if I truly am to look into my heart and see what is my dream, like if I don't care about what people think, say, if I shut up all the voices that I'm hearing from the environment, what is, my, what is truly my dream? And back then, my honest to God answer to this question. Can we just go back to that moment? Because I think it's so special. When did you have this um, insight? Oh, it was not a moment in the sense that uh, I can give you the time and the date. It's just, uh, it's unfolding. It's, it's a continuous process. It's not like, you know, you turn on the lights in the room. It's just a continuous process. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, for me, I kind of knew the answer. So for me, the answer was, I really want to go to the South and the North Pole. That was my honest to God dream. But the moment uh, those dreams were coming out of my heart, my mind was beginning to rationalize it away. Basically, it's not possible. It's too expensive. It's never going to happen. So actually, it took, it took time for me to actually accept the fact that, well, this is the reality of what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So don't expect a, a lightning to strike you and say, this is your dream or to hear a voice from heaven saying, this is the way, you know, I mean, it's usually, yeah. a, it's a continuous calling that you, that you hear. So that, for me, that was the answer to go to the North and the South Pole. So what I've done is I spent, I gave myself one year and I said uh, to myself, I'm not going to talk to anybody about this. Because I knew, even though I didn't know why, I just knew that the moment I'm going to speak about it to people, they will just destroy uh, with their words what I dream about. So I kept quiet about it. I didn't say anything to anybody. And I started uh, working. And I spent days, nights, for one year, a day and night, trying to figure out a way to, to get to the North and the South Pole. I didn't have, I didn't have money, obviously, I, because just a, I, was a, I was a PhD student back then. So I had to figure out legal ways <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to, to get there. Yeah. And um, it took 11 months and 15 days until I found a way to, to get there. So I, I went from, uh, from Europe all the way to Argentina and took a boat all the way to the South Pole. And then from there, took a flight across the earth to the North Pole. So both of both of my dreams happened in, after one year of basically pressing in to to figure out the way. So that's how that's how how the journey and everything started. And looking back, had that had I given up on that ten years ago, had I not failed? Because one thing I've learned is whenever the truth in your heart, whenever you honor it regardless of what you think it's possible, if you don't quit, it will happen. 
So, but looking back 10, 12 years ago, had I given up on that, none of what followed would have happened. Because if you, usually what happens, God gives you a, a dream that stretches you in the, where you are in the moment. If you take the leap of faith and you work on it and you fulfill it, you will be given greater things to do. But if you quit and you give up, uh, the bigger ones will never show up. Wow. That's really, really powerful what you said there, I think. And you had this dream. Okay, I want to go to the North Pole. So what were actually the first steps that you took towards that goal? Um, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember because you know what happened? Uh, I've learned the hard way. So everything I've learned in my life, I've learned the hard way. Even though it's been it's written in books, even though uh, I've always learned the hard way. So what I've done, and I'll tell you this so it doesn't happen to you. I uh, so my passion, my what I truly, truly wanted to do was to was to be a photographer back then. So I was enjoying photography. I was uh, I was studying photography and filmmaking, but I never. For many months, I never thought of uh, using my passion, what I loved to do, to actually uh, to get me to the South Pole and the North Pole. So what I've done wrong was I have tried every single idea that I thought in my mind uh, other people might value. Like I tried to uh, join associations for students. I tried to write research projects for the European Union. I tried to find a way to go there as a scientist. I tried any kind of thing I thought, you know, uh, will work, but not what I truly wanted to do. And every single thing I tried that I thought is going to work failed. And only when I got to the last thing, like my passion, what I love to do was, which, which was photography, only when I tried that one, and only as a last result, because I had no other ideas of what to do, that's what actually worked. Wow. So, like, if you, if you have a dream, don't try what you think other people will value. Just think of, uh, just go for what you truly love, because that's where things happen. It's not what, when we think of what others might want. Mm-hmm. And it's been the same ever since, like in my writing, in my uh, the documentaries I made, I never actually asked, you know, would you like this? Would you like that? I have to give what, what I carry on the inside. It's what I share with the world. And if people like it, fine. If not, that's fine. That's, you know, that's okay. And this is why my writing and uh, it's so different from everything you find out there. Because I write, uh, I write with my eyes looking up to heaven, not to, not to people. So... Mm -hmm. so, I mean, basically everything I do is to make sure that like in the writing, in the, in the movie making, uh, when I die and I'm going to face God, I want to make sure that I'm capable of standing before him and saying, this is what I thought you've called me to do. I've done my best. This is, I, I want to be happy and proud to show him my work. Because of this, I have no fear, no worries, no concern about one people, what people think. They like it fine. They don't like it is fine. As long as as you know if if god is pleased with my work for me that's fine mm -hmm. yeah that's really really beautiful i think and i think actually for a lot of people it is really important nowadays what other people think and um 
yeah sometimes we actually don't take actions towards our dreams because we are like so stuck in our mind and our mind is just telling us don't do it what would your family think and um how did your family and friends react once you realized your first dream my my friends i uh, i don't remember telling them actually uh only after it happened um i think it was a mix of uh, okay i admire you but i'm slightly envious <laughs> and my parents uh i think i put my mom and my dad through through so much anxiety because you know i back when i left for this for antarctica i had never left uh, europe before so it was my first trip outside europe and i went as far as possible from uh, from home so um to be, I, i don't really know how I, i know they were maybe concerned about me when i was there but when i came back um, and once you realized your dream and you were in in the antarctica how did you feel like did you realize that it actually came true I, I did have a moment when I was, uh, the moment that the ship went from uh, the southernmost point of Argentina and it was sailing south. Um, I, rem I still remember that as you leave, you see the mountains uh, as they disappear under the horizon. And I remember I was sitting on the outside on the deck. It was so cold and so, uh, it was 24 hours of light. So <laughs> I had plenty of light to, to see things. Uh, it, it's like, a, it's joy, but you don't, I'm a, I'm an introvert, so I don't express it. Like if I hear if if I hear a most terrible news or a, the most amazing news, usually you can't see it on my face. So I was just sitting there uh, in a chair, looking at uh, at the mountains disappearing, and I was like, you know, wow. Like I didn't have any words, but I was just in awe of, uh, of what was just happening. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I was just, I was, I was just thinking that, you know, wow, it's like, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so after that, um, you had another dream. As I read in the book, you were thinking about making a movie. Yeah. How did that idea came into your head? Actually, the movie uh, was not my dream per se. My my dream since I was in my early 20s, actually even before I went to the North and the South Pole, even in my early years, the dream I had was to be a writer. That was like the calling, you know. But uh, again, I didn't think that's actually possible for me to achieve because I, I did not want to be a, an author, a local author in Europe or in a small country like Romania. I wanted to to go for the big things like um, to start globally <laughs> yeah so for me making that film was the first step towards becoming an author it was it was my way of building uh, uh, basically building my super credibility with publishers in the states so one thing i've learned that whenever you have a dream you'll always need people to help you And to, and to believe in you and to trust in you. So all of us have in our minds, and I've learned this from, uh, from Peter Diamandis from Singularity University, all of us have in our minds two lines, a line of credibility 
and a line of super credibility. So when, th when we hear or uh, we hear things or we meet people that have ideas that fall beneath uh, below our line of credibility, the moment we, ha we have the ideas, we just chuck them in the garbage, say, not, I'm, not, I'm not buying this. Like, if you come and tell me, you know, if you've met uh, UFOs, I just, you know, chuck it in the garbage. But if, if uh, you, people come with ideas above the line of credibility, you might have a chance of, you know, of, of those you want to, uh, to impress or to convince might hear you. However, we also have a line of super credibility that the moment an idea is so carefully planned and organized and you have other people endorsing your names behind you, but won't come up with the idea to somebody like an investor or whatever, they will immediately believe you because you have built so much super credibility behind your idea. So for me, the, the movie was just the first step to to achieving my dream as a writer because uh, also i am uh, to be honest uh, because i was in my in my 20s when i made my first film although i wanted to be a writer i didn't really believe in myself enough to like really what do i have to say so as a writer if you're honest if you if you want to make a contribution that actually touches people you have to go through the through the process you have to go to the grind you have to go through the hard times so the moment you write or you speak to somebody you speak from experience not just uh, hollow words you've, you've read in other books so I, I didn't want to be a copycat of other books uh, other writers i wanted my own spirit to be placed in my work and that always comes the hard way it's never the easy way mm -hmm. yeah it's nice sad and um how can we start listening to this voice of truth inside of ourselves? How can you start? Yes. And for those who maybe um, still listen to the people who tell them they can't do anything, how can we actually come back to ourselves? What do you think um, a person can do? Well, I've learned this again the hard way, and it was an extraordinary experience I had when I was 32 years old, when I was in Hawaii. Um, what I've got to, what I've, what I've, when I got to the, when I got to 32 years old, um, I had a, a, an extraordinary encounter in Hawaii with Jesus Christ. So what happened to me was I spent uh, seven years prior to this trying to figure out uh, basically I was trying to, to I was searching for the meaning in life so I spent seven years between 23 and 30 trying to figure out uh, you know what is the meaning what is the truth and all of this stuff and between 27 so I, st I studied and I researched and applied every single spiritual tradition I found around the world so I began with the Native Americans going down to South America going across to Europe going to the the Eastern Gospels uh, uh, the Buddhist tradition I've read the Indian texts I've went all the way down to the Maori in New Zealand so basically I've studied everything uh, and I did not want to have anything to do with Christianity because the country I come from is very religious. So that thing pushed me away. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I said I'm gonna. I, I said if there's if there's if there's a God and if there's a way to Him, there's probably many ways to Him. I'm sure you've heard this before. Yeah. So what happened was be- between 27 and 30, I um, I went into this this deep deep depression. I was so depressed. Uh, you know, I was. It, it was funny because I was uh, writing about fulfilling your dreams, but I was so depressed and I had no idea why. And when I was in uh, one night, so just so you understand how bad this was, I was. Uh, I was actually walking past graveyards in my neighborhood, going back home from work, and I was cursing the dead for being, for wanting to be in their uh, in their place, in the grave. That's how how intense the depression and the pain was. If you, those who haven't had depression, they can't understand how it feels. It's it's like a dry, scorching pain that nothing can uh, can. It's like it it sucks the life out of you. So. Um, one night I, I cried, I was in my parents' home visiting them and I cried out, I said, God, I can't take this anymore. If you're real, you have to help me because I have no idea how, how am I going to get out of this. So a few months later, a friend of mine from Hawaii called me and said, look, if you, if you want to come here, I'll give you my house, just come and stay. So with, I, I flew to Hawaii with my last money and I spent six months on the farm just trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? But although you were, I was in this magnificent place, nothing, uh, just nothing was changing. So the day when he left for the airport, he, he told me to buy a book uh, from a woman called Catherine Kuhlman. I said, why? I said, just if you find one, buy one and read. So I was looking online and um, the first book that showed up was called The Greatest Power in the World. And I thought, well, this is probably a book about the, the, the power of the mind, the human mind. So I'll, I'll just buy this one. So I bought the book. And uh, I remember I was on the, all alone in the kitchen, all alone in the house on the entire farm. Nobody was there because he, um, he left weeks before. And I was standing uh, before the sink, looking outside the window. And I was opening the, the, the package from uh, Amazon with the book. So I opened the book and I started to read uh, the foreword and it, it said, uh, Catherine Kuhlman, a mighty minister of God in the 40s and 50s in the US. And I said, oh man, I don't want to read this. This is a Christian book. And uh, <laughs> I, I flipped over the, the foreword to skip to the end. And the last sentence, when I, uh, the last sentence of the foreword was, um, if you have not made that full surrender to Jesus Christ, do it now. Now, the moment my eyes finished reading this, I felt an electric shock going through my heart, like the hospital pedals you see in movies. It was like a sword, it was like a sword entered my heart and came out. My knees buckled. I dropped the book in the sink. I almost went down on the floor. The moment wow. uh, I got up, everything... Uh, that I've been struggling with, with for the last three, uh, three to four years, depression, guilt, everything was completely healed and completely gone in just one instant. So what happened to me back then was uh, I didn't know anything. I had not read the Bible. I had, obviously I heard the stories of Jesus and all, you know, as all of us do. But what happened then, when that sword entered my heart and came out, all I knew beyond any doubt was Jesus is the truth. So I had no other knowledge whatsoever except this one. If there was one thing that I was so certain 
to even to to give up my life for it was Jesus Christ is the truth. So that's when my life was completely transformed. I left uh, I left my career in aerospace. I left everything to follow this. Uh, this path in life it was so it was so powerful that it basically turned everything upside down so to answer now to answer your question how how do you listen to the voice of truth well first of all he has to be alive in you because if he's not alive in you you cannot hear from god and uh, that's where everything uh, everything starts so we have to start believing again do you think um belief is a human effort to uh, to believe in an idea if you will what we need is to open our hearts to him so the moment you say i'm willing to open my heart for you to come and live in me you don't have to believe because the moment he lives there he will give you this is what i've learned um there are two ways of functioning in this world the, the inside out and the outside in the outside in is um, is what people are trying to do i don't have hope i don't have motivation i don't have purpose i don't have meaning i'm lost I'm, i need healing I need all these things we are trying to get them from outside through techniques through reading books through practices through through our own effort so, uh, to bring the outside into us but the the journey with with jesus christ is inside out so the moment he lives in you because this is the seed um so christianity and is not is not a religion he is like is the life of the living god living in you in the form of a seed and the moment you go through life you for if you honor that voice whenever you go through trials if you need hope the hope springs forth from the seed uh, if you need uh, if you're trying to find meaning in life meaning will spring forth from the seed if you're trying to uh, you know ask the question what am i called to do what do i want to do all these questions come forth from that seed that grows in you it's not a ever since that moment i never had to read books to ask questions to search for things to it's been three and a half years four years now and i never ever looked outside outside to try to find the answers so everything that you need is contained in that seed that lives in you so everything is inside you already you don't need anything from outside really uh, everything is inside everything is inside him not inside of you the moment you receive him is inside you because if everything was inside you already you would not have millions of people feeling hollow feeling Uh, depressed feeling uh, uh, trying to find out what's my purpose what's my mean uh, feeling desperate you, you see so no everything is in him but not in us the gift is freely given but we have to accept it the, the problem is most people reject it so right yeah so that's really beautiful so after that um did you what did you do so you were in hawaii and did you went back to europe or what did you do now so after that first of all to be honest for me this this encounter was a shock because i never expected it i never looked for it i was trying to figure out you know you know how all of us are trying to find out the place we call home in our hearts say okay 
I'm finally there. You know, I found what I've been looking for. So when that happened to me, I finally, I finally found home. And I found that, uh, you know, in, if, you, if you read the New Testament, Jesus says, come to me and I will give your soul's rest. So basically, I found rest. Not because the book says so, but because when, the, when I met the person, everything contained in him, all the promises, the rest, the healing, uh, the, the peace that transcends every kind of human understanding, the love of God that just overflows like a river out of people, that all these promises came in, in me. So what I've done next was I, I had to figure out, you know, what next? Because... Uh, the moment he lives in you, you basically, you, you, not basically, you, uh, you practically begin to live a new life. So I had to figure out what is this new life all about. So I spent the next, I don't know, maybe two years trying to, to make sense of things. Right. And what were your conclusions? I came to New Zealand. Uh, I moved to New Zealand uh, three years ago. What I've done is I got baptized. At one point, I heard God asking me the question, most people don't believe in me because we live in, because they say we live in the days of science. And the question was, what if that very science demonstrates I'm real and Jesus Christ is my son exactly whom, exactly what he said he was, then what? So I did not know what to do with this question. <laughs> so I, I spent uh, the past two years um, basically day and night researching, trying to understand, uh, you know, how do we, how do I answer this question? So I have, I had worked on my, my new book, which is about the seven most extraordinary questions about Jesus Christ through the eyes of science. So that's what I've been doing. And what I found is, I mean, it's completely mind blowing. So there's no preaching, there's no religion. I looked exclusively through the eyes of science. I, look, I put on my, my researcher's hat, uh, my, my PhD hat on, and I started to investigate, uh, starting from what is the Bible. And it, it turns out it's the most pure, the most accurate, the most reliable document in history of humanity, far beyond any kind of uh, other text out there from ancient times. It's the most accurate and academically proven document in history. Now I ask the question, okay, if they are pure, what, what do they say? And if you, um, if you study, you see that uh, almost all scholars, I mean, when I say scholars, I mean like the, the critical scholars with PhDs with, from universities with reputation, not just, you know, bloggers and stuff. All scholars um, say that uh, the Gospels of the New Testament are historical biographies based on eyewitness accounts. So basically, biographies means they, they speak about the life of the person, in this case, the life of Jesus. Eyewitness accounts means the writers who were um, scholars and academics of the time, so people with education and knowledge, doctors and so forth, they wrote what they saw and heard. Now I looked at, uh, then I looked at when were the Gospels written? Because many people think, you know, the church uh, or the, they, they is corrupted and so on. And it's not true. The Gospels go as far as six months after the cross. So they don't go 700 years after. It's between six months. And uh, so they, they stretch between uh, six months to 90 years after the cross. And the reason why what people call the Gnostic Gospels, 
uh, you know, the, the Gospels that are not in the Bible is, you know, why are they rejected? It's not that the church rejected the Gospels, it's that the Gospels themselves rejected themselves because those Gospels were written two to three hundred years after, and that's enough time for the information to become a myth. Okay, wow. But the New Testament with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the letters, they are only a few years after. And they have so much, um, so much historical evidence outside them that you simply cannot deny them. What's interesting, even the most skeptical scholar, of, um, so America's foremost skeptic, right. he says, I don't believe in God, but the Gospels are the most accurate documents in history. Mm-hmm. Now, so, so then the question was, okay, what did these people write about? And they, they wrote uh, what Jesus said and did. And Jesus, what happened was, so he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons, and then uh, he died on the cross and came back, appeared to his disciples and many other people. And then, uh, and then the Bible says I, he, went, uh, he came from heaven and he went back to heaven. So obviously, if this is true, Looking back 2,000 years, it's hard to say, okay, maybe this is story, this is myth, we don't know. But if Jesus really is alive, then does he still heal the sick today? I mean, it's a fair question to ask, right? If he healed the sick back then, does he do it today? Yeah. Does he raise the dead today? Does he cast out demons today? Are demons real or is it just a, a mythological conversation? Um, does he still appear to people? Does, where is he today? Is he still in heaven? Is there a heaven? Is heaven real or is just, you know, a hope we have, but there's no foundation? So I looked at all of this through the eyes of data. And what, what's extraordinary is that answering the question of does Jesus heal the sick today? So purely through the eyes of medical science, the answer is yes. There's no question about it. There's miracles all over the world documented in hospitals, in hospitals with hospital records, in uh, um, medical hospitals like Stanford, like Stanford uh, Medical Center, and like the top of the top hospitals, the most prestigious uh, medical institutions in the world have documented miracles in his name. Um, it is the same with raising the dead. Now you have to understand it doesn't happen every day to everybody, but there are uh, there are many documented. Uh, cases in hospitals. So when I say hospitals, I'm speaking about the US, I'm speaking about Australia, I'm speaking about, um, you know, uh, places like Denmark, where the people are very skeptical about this kind of stuff. But the evidence, it's so overwhelming, you simply can't deny it. There's people who came back from the dead after, uh, um, after 60 minutes, after uh, 90 minutes, um, there's a person in Nigeria who got who who was put in a coffin, embalmed, uh, nostrils in his in his nose. He was put in the morgue. Two days later, he came back to life, and all of this is doc- and, yeah, and all of this is documented on camera. So it's not like you can you know. So the answer to raising the dead is yes. Uh, does he cast out demons? Now, the, for, for, for a scientist, you know, in the, in the modern world, this can seem like a really absurd question, but it, um, the most, some of the most recognized, awarded psychiatrists in the world trained at, um, like, for example, the New York uh, uh, universities in New York and Columbia University and Duke University, the most prestigious schools, they are beginning to open up to the, to the possibility of demons. They say we had cases in our um, 
in our practice. So one of one of these uh, these people, this uh, this person is called Richard Gallagher from uh, from New York. He had twenty five thousand patients as a psychiatrist in his career, and he said, "I found a few cases uh, that were clearly demonic possessions. I had no explanation for them other than demonic possession, and uh, not." Obviously, most of them are mental health problems, but there's one, two, or three cases that he says are clearly demonic possessions, and the only way I could help those patients was to cast out the demons in the name of Jesus. There's a there's a there's a case study. Sorry, there's a there's an example of a girl from the Philippines. This was, this is probably one of the most extraordinary cases of demonic possession in history because in front of 30 medical doctors. Mm. So uh, 30 medical doctors have gathered to study this, um, uh, this person. Her name was Clarita. And in front of 30 doctors, one of the doctors, were, uh, one of the doctors was holding her by the hands. So in front of all these medical students and medical doctors, um, I know it's going to sound crazy, but there was a demon who actually beat her by her neck in front of 30 doctors. They saw the teeth, they, they could see the teeth marks in her neck. So, again, I'm not naive in the sense that, you know, they are everywhere, but there are cases through the eyes of the most recognized mental health practitioners that they say there is no other way for us to be able to intervene except by casting out the demons in the name of jesus now i asked the question um, so uh, heal the sick cast out demons raise the dead does jesus appear to people today i know the bible says he he appeared to his disciples but we don't really know that because it's been two thousand years here's what what's interesting in the 1980s and the 19 90s, early 90s, uh, Professor Philip Vibe from, uh, from Trinity University in Canada, he did a study published by the largest academic uh, publisher in the world, the Oxford University Press. He did a study on the visions, the modern visions and appearances of Jesus. So he spent a few years um, talking to people and analyzing the testimonies of more than of, of 30 people non-believers people who didn't think he was real so he appears to whomever he wants and he says that in today's world while science clearly dismisses the existence of stuff like spirits and ufos and all this kind of stuff most scholars universally agree that the modern day appearances of jesus are real facts and uh, the last question was uh, where is he today obviously because he said i came from heaven i go back to heaven and uh, i looked at the uh, two two or three of or the uh, two of the largest near-death studies in history so combined they investigated so these are medical doctors medical professionals who investigated about six thousand people who had near-death experiences, who came, uh, who died. They've been dead for minutes, for hours, and then came back to tell the story. And out of 
So all this 97% of these people, of the 6,000 people, they said that um, there is definitely an afterlife. They said God is definitely real. And I found more than 120 people who actually met Jesus face to face in the afterlife. So studying, uh, studying their experiences, 120 people, some of them do not believe in him. They actually, they had conversation and they said, look, I don't, I did, I don't think you're real, <laughs> but they met him anyway. Uh, so when, when you put them together, there's so much evidence coming every day, tens and, and tens of thousands of people each, uh, each day around the world have near-death experiences. So there's an abundance of, info, of, of, of data out there. So, uh, the downside is that, uh, again, this is purely the medical uh, uh, reports, it's not my own invention, is they said that about 46% of the, of the near-death experiences are hellish, uh, are hellish in nature. So if you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who come back and report the same thing, um, you, you have to begin to wonder, you know, maybe there's something more I do not know about. Like, for example, if in, in 1969, you had the first, uh, the first man uh, going to the moon, when they came back, they reported the story. Well, you're not sure if it's true or not. You know, when two people come and tell you something, you're not sure. But if you have tens of people going to the same place every day and they come back and tell you the story, uh, people who have no interest, who can actually, they risk their careers. So you have neuroscientists, you have uh, lawyers, you have U.S. congressmen, uh, you have uh, airline pilots who come back and they testify about, about the reality of Jesus Christ. They, they can lose everything in this life, but they still testify. You have to begin and wonder, you know, is there something maybe I'm not seeing? So this is my answer to your question, what I've been doing for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for the whole explanation. That was great. You're welcome. I'm here. If you have any questions, let me know. Yeah, so you're, you're such an expert. I think you're expecting something else from the interview, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I love how it always turns out um, in an interview. And in, I, I just love that spontaneous topics come up. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I really love that. And uh, I think it's just, it's just like so interesting, really, because I never hear something about that. Um, and I never really heard about that before so is this book coming out soon yeah i just finished it so it's again it's probably going to be maybe 2021 or uh, or even next year i don't know but it's it's so the, the, the book is finished i will uh, as fast as i can i will have it out <laughs> okay perfect um so do you have any other projects no, this is my uh, uh, this is my life path from now on. So I'll just uh, I'll just follow the whatever God calls me to do. I'll, I'll do. That's my mission. I give up everything in this world to uh, you know. Jesus said, 
whoever wants to be my disciple, deny himself, take up your cross and follow me. So I said, okay. So I left, uh, I left my career, I left everything, and I, I will just follow to see where the road leads me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Nice. Is there a book which changed your life? Mm. No, I don't think so. I mean, other than now, just... Uh, you know, I've, I haven't read the Bible in 32 years of life, life, and for the last three years, I've read it more than three times now. So <laughs> I think I, I, if, if there's something I would recommend, it's just go in the New Testament and eat from there. And um, imagine um, I would give you a microphone, and this microphone is um, connected to every radio station on Earth and to every TV program and you have now one minute time to speak to the people and everyone can also understand your language so you can choose which language you want to speak either romanian english or um <laughs> whatever and um, what would you what would you say what do you want to share with the world uh, that's that's an easy message to convey <laughs> <laughs> i think what the message that has been has been screaming throughout history from the the first day of of life until now is gonna is gonna be is gonna be screaming till the last uh, you know till the last moment of time is uh, is return to God with your heart with your mind and uh, open your heart to Jesus Christ because God is serious so. That's the most, I think, the most important uh, message I have. Take God seriously and come back to him. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Yeah, where can people find you? Oh, just on my website, drdragos.com, so D-R-A-G-O-S.com. And social media these days, so... Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I will put everything in the show notes and also your books. Um, yeah, Dragos, thank you so, so much for um, sharing all your knowledge and your whole life story with us. Um, it, yeah, it was an honor for me to have you on my um, podcast because I always dreamed actually to have you on my podcast and I yeah, I, I can't realize that you're really now here and talking to me. And um, yeah, thanks so much for spreading your message and all the work you're doing. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, you know, God hears the the honest, uh, the honest prayers of the heart. And, you know, those who are willing to hear the truth will hear it. So I'm, I'm just uh, grateful for, for me to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dragos. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.